0: been in a series here at Woven called Living Together. And in this series, we've been reading a book by the German author. He lived during World War II. He died in World War II. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we've been going through this book together as a community. And I think it's very important, it's well-timed that we've been studying this book together. Because what we're in ...in this new season, in this fall season as a church... ...is this experiment of this multi-ethnic diaspora... ...this community of people under one roof... 6 churches worshipping as one community... ...and this experiment of running into Spanish-speaking peoples in the hallway... ...and people from Angola speaking Portuguese... ...and you have people uh, of, of all different languages... Under the same roof, you're going to have some tensions. And the tensions, I want to tell you, are normal. I even experienced them. Even for me, uh, you think that the pastor is really like, charge, gung-ho, let's do this. But the thing is, all of the tensions that underline, that underlie these growth pains are necessary. It's a good thing. You are not alone. If sometimes you're feeling, man, I'm overwhelmed in this experiment, you're not alone. Even I experienced them. Even I experienced them. But as we experience these tensions, what you're doing, what's happening to you is you're being stretched. And friends, the Christian faith is not for those who just want to sit comfortable and retrench ourselves. It is for those who are willing to be stretched, to grow, to go cross-cultural even, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing as you and I, me too, don't, don't think that I'm not experiencing this as well. We're being stretched and that's what living together is all about. So this series that we're talking about is community. What does it mean to live in community? What does it mean for us to uh, be with people that are not like ourselves? That we're being stretched when we're going outside of our comfort zones. That's what this series is all about. Life together. And last Sunday, I wasn't here. I heard that um, uh, Pete Aldrich from Intervarsity, from Intervarsity Christian Fellowship, was the guest speaker. And I'm very, very happy. I want you to know I'm very happy that you took care of him. You took him out to lunch. I want you to know that the offering that you gave for Pete, to Pete, was very generous. As honorariums go, the offering was generous, and it was our first offering of our, it was the first week of our fiscal year. So we gave our first week, um, in one sense, we gave our first offering to someone else, to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. That is a good thing. And that's something that you can applaud yourselves on. I want you to know that. Um, Forthgoing, I really think that InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is an organization we're going to intentionally seek a partnership with. Um, They have access to college students that I just think need to come here to Woven. And need to really get connected with us. So that was what happened last Sunday. But today we're going to dive back. Let's get back into Life Together, into chapter 2. And we've been in the second chapter of Life Together. So we've been talking about the ideals of community. Chapter 2 of Life Together talks about what does community tangibly look like? What does a day in the life of community look like? Now, for us as a church community... This is what it looks like. And if you can put this picture on the screen, the sewing and growing graphic. I just want to share this with you because what does community mean? Like, Is it like we, 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 we live together and we sing Kumbaya all day long and it's this never-ending thing? What does community life look like for us as a church? I want to share this again. I've shared this once. I'm probably going to share it a few more times just so that we get familiar with our rhythms as a church. What are the community rhythms for us as a church After four years, I've discerned that our baseline is uh, the months of September to the months of May. This is the sowing season. This is the season where we're planting seeds, where we're intentionally working, we're doing ministry, we're um, teaching, we're discipling, we're forming our community, we're growing our community. This is when we're sowing our seeds. Now, the months of June to August, this, these are the seasons when everybody's out of town. There's lots of traveling. We're all trying to escape the Texas heat. So the months of June to August, I see this as God's time. This is the growing season. Um, that's when God does his stuff. And, and it's no coincidence that some of the most profound ministry happens, I really think, at, at things like summer camp. This is when God's doing his work. But for the months of September to May... What are the community rhythms? What are the things that we do as a community? There's four things that we do as a community. The first, I spoke about it during the announcements, is the workplace examine. This is something that happens in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, when we're meeting at work. Um, If you are downtown, that's where this is happening. For now, that's just where this is happening. In downtown, we want this to multiply as well. But that's one rhythm. The second rhythm is the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And if you feel like you really need to really uh, press a little bit deeper—that an hour and a half on a Sunday is not enough—you you really want to sing. You need to pray. There's something that you really need to cry out to God for. Then you can ask your wife or your husband to. Can, can you just watch the kids one night? I need to pray. Come to, come out to church. You come out to here, and we have our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Our Wednesday night prayer meetings, this is the second piece of our community rhythm. Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m., 7.30 p.m. in the main sanctuary, this is when we get our prayer on as a community. The third rhythm is our community group that takes place on Saturday. On Saturday, we gather not as a smaller group but as a larger group. We get together all together at someone's house the next one is going to be in two, Sundays, in two Saturdays from now. It's actually going to be at my home. And so if you're interested in coming out, we, we should probably have some good Korean food available if you're interested in that. The community group is where we gather and where um, we pray together. Discipleship happens. This is when we grow deeper um, into the word and deeper into relationship. So community group is also, um, it's a part of our rhythm as a community. And if you're interested in that, you can also indicate on your communication card. The next community group, two Saturdays from now. And then the fourth piece is our Sunday school. Sunday school is where you are, if you want to learn more about the Bible, if you want to get deeper into Scripture, that that takes place on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. I mean, maybe Blake can testify if this is, eh, it's okay, or no, this is really good, or, you know, you can speak to Blake if this has really been helpful. Um, but Sunday school is important for us we value insightful teaching as a church community so these are our four rhythms these are our four community rhythms these are the four things we do as a church together and I really want to encourage you because here's the thing listen carefully to this community doesn't just magically happen it takes time it takes investment and so I really want to encourage you outside of our regular Sunday service, which is a, an hour and a half once a week, on, you know, once a week on Sundays. Outside of that, include maybe two out of four of these things. Are there two of these things that you say, well, Wednesday night prayer meetings, that's, that's something that I, I want to do. Sunday school on Sunday morning. Two out of four of these things, try to work them into your routine. So, and even just for the months of September to May, so that we are building community by involvement. You know, the one thing that I, that I can't do as a pastor is I can't take attendance. That's not how this works. And so I implore you, of your own accord, of your own volition, build the community. Build community. Build this community by time well spent together. Time well spent together. I plead with you, not for the sake of woven, really, Not for the sake of woven, but for the sake of your own community. For the sake of your community. Build this community. Build your community. So, that is what community looks like for us. But what is Bonifer talking about when he talks about community? Here's where we're going to get into it. Here's where we're going to talk about ideas of community. And we're going to talk about it. There's three sections. So, if you look in your notes, there are three passages from Bonifer now i'm going to put these passages into dialogue with scripture not as much today but typically we really engage scripture deeply here but boniface is saying something that is very pragmatic and i think it's theological it's important for us to hear i want you to hear this three readings that are going to be our um, that are going to be the structure for today if you look at your notes and this first reading it comes from page 69 so for those of you that That took the book. We gave out the free copies of the book. We see him say this. On page 69. After the first morning hour. The Christian's day until evening. Belongs to work. After the morning hour. The Christian's day until evening. Belongs to work. And here is where Bonifer begins to talk about. The work aspect of community. You see. What does this community look like? What is the ideal that Bonifer is talking about here? When he talks about work and living in a community, is he talking about like, okay, we live all under some kind of you know we live under the same roof, we live as a community, we sing our praises, we sing Kumbaya in the morning, and then throughout the day, we go out and maybe we we build. A barn, like in an Amish community or something like that. Is that the type of community that he's thinking about? Do we do community work? The work that we do builds the church. So we have Sunday services, Monday Monday morning service, and then we build the church. That's work. I don't think that's the work that he's talking about. I don't think that's the type of community that he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is work and community that looks more like this. Now listen carefully. You start off the day worshiping together, and then you go out to a job, a secular job. You work a job out in the real world, and then you reconvene in the evening, for example, like a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Now, let me describe to you what, I'm, what I think he's talking about here. Um, all of you, you know that I was not here last Sunday, and I was um, in California. And I was studying towards my doctorate of ministry degree. And the focus that we have is on faith and work. Faith and work. In other words, is there any significance to my Christian faith on Monday? The minute I leave church, is there anything spiritual about my work from Monday to Friday? And one of my classmates, I want to I tell you about this guy, is really, really interesting. 17 years ago, he decided, together with his pastor, 17 years, now that's a long time, he decided to move into inner city Washington, D.C. And if you're from the East Coast or you know that part of the world, it's not exactly where, you know, nice suburban proper people want to live urban downtown Washington, D.C. But intentionally, he decided to move in with his pastor and start a Christian community. Now, they didn't all live under one roof. There was Christians living in several row houses in this very unsafe neighborhood. And for 17 years, he lived there. They built a community there. Um, But here's the thing. Throughout the day, this guy was not a pastor. He went to work ...for the Federal Reserve. And so this is somebody that works in the real world, the Federal Reserve Bank... ...dictating economic policy, and at the same time coming back and living intentionally in this Christian community. So when Bonifer talks about community and work, I think this is what he has in mind. Living as a Christian community, intentionally following rhythms together, but working out in the real world and planting seeds, sowing seeds, and affecting change in the secular marketplace, in the real world. That, I think, is the ideal that we're striving for here at Woven. We might not all live in the same neighborhood. We might live in different parts of Houston. Really, Woven is a church um, that we exist for the greater Houston metro area. But even though we're far apart, we reconvene regularly... And throughout the week, we are influencing the real world through our work. Now listen to what he says. This is still the first reading. After the first morning hour, the Christian's day until evening belongs to work. Work plunges men. I forgive the gender-specific language. I'm going to, try to, I'm going to try to use more, more uh, ap- applicable language here. Work plunges people into the world of things. Into the world of impersonal things, the it. And this new encounter frees people for objectivity. For the it world is only an instrument in the hand of God for the purification of Christians from all self-centeredness and all self-seeking. Now, I may have lost you there. Bonifer may have lost you there. And at this point, you're reading this and you're like, I don't get it. But what he's talking about here is so important. It's like a packet of dynamite that I think once you understand what you have, it explodes and it can potentially change everything. I want to explain this. I want to teach this. So listen, he says, he's talking about the it world as an instrument in the hand of God. The work of the world can be done only where a person forgets himself, where he loses himself in a cause. In reality, the task, the it. In work, the Christian learns to allow herself to be limited by a task. And thus, for her, the work becomes a remedy against the indolence and sloth of the flesh. The passions of the flesh die in the world of things. But this can happen only where the Christian breaks through the it to the thou, which is God who bids him work and makes that work a means of liberation from himself. Now, you're lost. I'm going to make this applicable. I'm going to bring this home. How many of you remember, you're old enough to remember the Dunkin' Donuts commercial? The Dunkin' Donuts commercial where there was a guy with a mustache and every morning he woke up and he was so tired before the rooster crowed. And what did he say? Time to make the donuts. Now that image is going to be the backdrop for this whole talk. Because you relate to that. You know what that feeling is like when you wake up in the morning and you are so tired, you might be miserable, but it's time to make the donuts. So when Bonifer talks about the it world, when he talks about after you pray and after you do your morning thing, you have to plunge into the it What he's saying is, you're waking up in the morning, you don't feel good, maybe even life is not dealing you a good hand, you're having family problems, you're having financial problems, you'd rather just put the cover over your head, but you have to get up. Why? Because it's time to make the donuts. It's time to do something that will take you outside of yourself And that will focus you on the it. So when Bonifor talks about the it, what he's talking about is this big step. Listen to this. This big step away from myself towards something that I can objectively focus on. And he says, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Friends, I am always trying to help you to understand here at Woven. I'm trying to help us understand that work is not bad. That we think that if I could just live in church all day long and sing the the playlist that Bobby sang for us on 24-7. Frankly, I don't know if that would be fun. I think I would be tired of it. But do you realize that your work is worship as well? That your work, it hums with songs and praises to God. And what Bonifer is saying is, when you're focused on something else other than yourself, when you're focused on it, if it takes you away from self-centeredness, these are his words, if it takes you away from self-centeredness and self-seeking, and you're focused on this third-party thing, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now listen. Some of you know what this means, what this feels like, because you may have had a very, very difficult weekend. You may have had real family problems, real financial struggles. But as you woke up in the morning, you knew that you couldn't skip work as much as you just wanted to wallow in self-pity. You knew that you had to get up. And as you started your day and you focused your attention on some kind of mechanical schematic or some kind of plan, some kind of engineering plan, or maybe you focused your attention on some numbers, you're looking at a pattern, you're looking for a pattern, or maybe you're turning your attention to a passage in Hebrew, or maybe you're trying to get your kids ready for school, or you're changing what seems like the millionth diaper. By the time you've gotten through with the task, you've stopped looking at yourself. You've almost forgotten your own problem. And the next thing you know, it's 5 p.m. You've gotten through the day because you focused away from the self towards the second stage, the it. Whatever it is, whatever that great objectivity is, that is the it that Bonifer talks about. The it, that job, whether it's tightening with a wrench or whether it's studying the schematic or whether it's looking at the numbers or whether it's changing diapers, that is the it that purifies us, Bonifer says, that purifies us from the bad things within us. It is good to work. It is good to turn your attention away from ourselves. In fact, we see Paul the apostle in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, he says it's straightforward. Listen, if anybody's not willing to work, you don't get to eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. And that, I think, I think that is coming from this, just this basic perspective. If you're going to wallow in self, and if you're going to say, I don't have any responsibilities, and you're kind of caught up in yourself, listen, you're not going to eat. In order to eat, you must plunge yourself in something outside, something external. And what this does, it validates not just work, but all kinds of work. If you are a stay-at-home dad, if you are a stay-at-home dad changing diapers and you're struggling with your identity, and you're wondering, am I doing anything meaningful in this world Bonifer would say, are you turning your attention away from yourself towards something else, towards the it? In that sense, it's work. It's good work. Do you feel like your employment is not gainful or it's not meaningful? Does it turn your attention away from self-centeredness or self-pity and focus your attention on the it, on something else? Then it's a good thing. Whether it's changing diapers or building the next Longer-lasting light bulb. It's good work. Why? Because you've turned your attention away from the self towards the it. But there's a third step. And the third step is not just the it, but then from the it to the thou. In other words, you've turned your attention away from yourself, and you're focusing on some third, some, some external task. And you're focused on this task. But in the midst of that task, what Bonifor is saying, it is possible to see God. It's possible to feel God, to hear God. It's possible for the it, whatever your work is, to become a prayer to God. And that's what he says, the passions of the flesh, they die in the world of things, the its. But this can happen only where the Christian breaks past the it to the thou, which is God. Now I'm going to make this practical. I'm going to make this I'm going to make this uh, more understandable. How many of you, without raising your hands, enjoy what you do? Just think about it. Okay, you can raise your hand. How many of you find what you do repetitious and tedious? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you find that what you do is laborious? You see, the worker and the struggle of the worker, this goes back, this goes back hundreds of years. There's an understanding that work is something that can become tedious and laborious. Work is something... That's almost lost its significance. It's lost its spirituality. So this is how it all begins. You're a worker. Let's say hundreds of years ago, uh, the world needs pins, safety pins. They need some kind of a pin. And it would take one worker to build this pin. He would take tools like a wrench, pliers. You'd make this pin, and then you'd have to solder a piece. And then after that, maybe you had to hammer the head. And if you were lucky, at the end of the day, one worker may have made about a hundred pins, a hundred pins. Well, there was somebody, somebody that comes up and it comes up with an idea and says, "How about we, how about we mechanize this process? How about we make this process and we spread it out instead of one person doing all the work? We'll have one person to bend, we'll have one person to solder, and one person to nail this pin on the head." And so. Instead of one person doing everything, you'd have everybody doing this kind of assembly line construction. And so with 10 people making one product, you could actually exponentially increase the output. You could have 1,000, maybe 10,000 pins made by 10 people in one day. Now, this is wonderful, because basically, you've increased your product, you've increased your productivity, efficiency, and in the end, everybody makes more money. But at the end of the day, would you have have liked to have been that guy (laughs) that for the last 20 years of your life, all you did for 10 hours a day, six days a week, bang that pin on the head. You were the one that was banging. Work in that regard becomes dehumanizing. We lose touch. And what Bonifer is saying here is in the midst of that rhythm, In the midst of that kind of banging away at the pin, we can lose our souls unless we see God behind. Unless we're able to see God in the rhythm of what we're doing. Unless you're able to, in the daily task of waking up and it's time to make the donuts. Unless we're able to see God in the process of what we do, it will be dehumanizing. Now, you might, you might tell me at this point, you know, Pastor Wayne, I'm not really happy with this line of thought. I don't like this because basically what you're telling me is the work that I do, I should just put my head down. I shouldn't complain, and I should just accept what I do as a fact of life because I don't, I don't like that because it feels like a prison. It feels like a prison. Work feels like a prison. And what Bonifer is saying here, I think, is that I understand what this feels like. In fact... Somebody who went to prison, as somebody who went to prison, he understands this experience. Really, friends, in the end, the only way we're going to cope is what he's saying, is by learning to recognize what we do as a prayer. The only way we're going to learn to cope with the repetition and the dehumanizing aspect of what we do every day is to see it as a prayer. We move out, our understanding of work moves away from the self to the it, and then from the it to the thou. And this gets us to this second, second reading. The continuing struggle with the it remains. This is in your notes. We struggle with this, but at the same time, a breakthrough is made. The unity of prayer and work The unity of the day is discovered because we find behind the it of the day's work, we have found the thou. We found God. And this is what Paul calls praying without ceasing. The prayer of the Christian reaches beyond its set time and it extends into the heart of our actual work. You see, what he's saying is it's possible for us to have a prayer meeting that never ends. It's possible for your prayer as it starts in the morning to continue all throughout the day that the work that you do itself it hums with prayer. That the work that you do even though it's backbreaking and dehumanizing it can be your opus, it can be your life work, it can be the beautiful thing that lifts up praise to God. You know, for me, I remember um, when I was a younger man and uh, when Jesus touched my life as a college student. And as I began to find my faith, I found that I loved talking to God. I found that I enjoyed prayer. I found that prayer was something that I wanted to do and I wanted to grow deeper. And after the time of prayer was up, you know, the desire to continue praying, it stayed with me. And I remember wondering, you know, how does a person continually pray? As it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing, Pray nonstop. How does this look? How do you pray without stopping, without ceasing? What does this look like? And so in the last 20, 30 years of my life, I've tried to figure out how this works out unsuccessfully. I've not figured out how to pray nonstop because there's this constant, as Bonifer says, this unreal sense of this constant turning away. It's like you're working, but then you're distracted. Oh, I have to pray. How does anybody get anything done? How do we get anything done if our work is constantly interrupted with prayer? And I think the message, I think what we're learning here is that work itself can become the prayer. It's not so much that we have to interrupt ourselves and stop and then we turn our attention to pray. But I think what's being said here is that when we've turned from the objectivity of work, when we've turned from the it to the thou, what we're seeing is that work itself begins to become a prayer that the work that you do becomes something that is lifted up as incense to God. Friends, I'd like for you to think for a moment. As you look at the week ahead, and I'm going to have you do that at the close of the service. I'm going to have you look at your schedules. As you look at the week ahead to consider how in the world... Are changing diapers a prayer to God? How in the world is looking at a spreadsheet or sending out this email, how is this a prayer to God? No, it feels like a prison. Especially for the young moms and the young dads that are watching this, unable to come to church because of these new little, new little interruptions in your life. That, by the way, you're never going to have an evening free again for the rest, for the next five years of your life, you're going to be busy. How is this possibly a prayer? But what Bonifer and what I'd like to say to you is if you don't see this as a prayer, it's gonna be a prison. Either it's a prison or it's a prayer. And if we complain about it, if we're not happy with whatever it is, time to make the donuts. Oh my gosh. Time to go back into the shop. Time to change the diapers. If it's not a prayer, it's a prison. I don't think there's much in between. Either it's a prison or a prayer. Learning to see it as a prayer is the alternative. It's the antidote to seeing work as a prison. I remember for my little babies, and I only had two, so we were still playing man defense. But it was hard every single night to put the babies down, to get them washed, and to read them a book, literally praying with the little ones. But that ritual, it becomes a prayer. Let's wrap up with the third and last reading. Third and last reading. Wasted time which we are ashamed of. Temptations that beset us. Weakness and listlessness in our work. Disorder and indiscipline in our thinking and our relations with other people. Very frequently have their cause in the neglect of the morning prayer. In other words... What Bonifer seems to be saying is, the reason you're so cranky today is because you didn't pray this morning. And that's how we can interpret this. I think he's making a deeper connection. I don't think he's lecturing us. I don't think he's shaming us. The purpose is not to shame us and say, listen, you're grumpy. You didn't pray today. I think the purpose that uh, the, the connection that Bonifer is making is that our morning prayer is the place where we center ourselves. We prepare ourselves for the world. We're able to recognize that from henceforth, it's 9 a.m., it's time to make the donuts, it's time to get onto the commute, it's time for me to drive into the city, time for me to go back to work. That experience of prayer prepares you to see the rest of your day as prayer. Our prayer meeting in the morning basically is the continuity of the prayer meeting for the rest of the day. Our prayer meeting for the entirety of the day, it just begins in the morning. You see, the worst thing, I think, in this scheme, the worst thing is not the person who is unemployed. The worst thing is not the person who has to be a stay-at-home parent. The worst thing is not the person who is depressed and unable to get up. Now, I know what that feels like. I know how hard it is when you are depressed to put your foot in front of the other and to clothe yourself and to get to work. The worst thing, the worst thing in this scheme is actually the apathy, the self-centeredness, the unwillingness to try, the unwillingness to say, well, you know, At least I should put one foot in the front of the other. The unwillingness to focus on something outside of yourself. The unwillingness to focus on some external it, some external problem. Listen, you don't have to have a great job. You don't have to, but you got to turn your attention away from yourself. If our whole life is basically spent self-pitying, self-worrying, and we have nothing else to turn our attention to, that, friends, That is what is to be pitied. That is not good. The wasted time, the temptations, the weakness and listlessness, basically this comes from an unwillingness to turn our attention away from ourselves towards that focusing it, whatever that work is. Now I conclude with this. You might say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like pie in the sky you don't know what I do for a living. You don't know how difficult it is for me to wake up in the morning and to go back to back-breaking labor. You don't know what it's like. And my answer, in conclusion, my answer is I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. I don't know what it's like to be a worker in your field. But this is what I do know. I do know that in my line of work, the first five years are considered just the hazing period. Just the hazing period. And it takes ten years to build trust. I've been here in Houston eight. I know that in my line of work, that starting a church, typically churches don't get up to year five. We just celebrated our fourth birthday. We're in our fifth year. I know that in my line of work, if you are not seeing some therapist or some counselor to talk through your stuff, that you are doing emotional violence to yourself. That's what we say in the covenant now. If you are a pastor and you are not seeing a counselor, you are doing emotional violence to yourself. I know that in my line of work, that attrition rates for pastors who say, I I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. It spikes at years 5, years 15, and years 25. I know that in my line of work, that this emotional violence oftentimes happens because we attach our value and our self-worth too much to the it of work. Are they going to hate my sermon? Did I offend somebody? Did we do church the wrong way this past Sunday? And we attach ourselves to that in an unhealthy way. I mean, in some ways, as a worker, your job is easier. Because at least you haven't attached your value into, you know, put all of your value into this product. You say, well, we just have to make the product, and that's the end of the day. What I'm saying is this. In the midst of the difficulty... When Monday morning rolls around, and I'm discouraged, and things don't look good for me personally, what do I do? I wake up, I put my shoes on, and I walk in front, and I look at Hebrew. (laughs) It's time to make the donuts. I turn my attention away from myself because I could say, I'm not going to church this week. I'm not coming, I'm not showing up. You guys have church on your own. I'm not going to make the donuts. Where would the world be if if Dunkin' Donuts wasn't open? Where would we be if I just, you know, if each of you said, I'm just going to pull the covers over my head? But what happens is we wake up on Monday morning. We put our foot, or we put one foot in front of the other, and we focus on whatever that task is, and that becomes your prayer. That becomes our prayer. So in conclusion, this is what I'd like you to do. I know this talk was very kind of cerebral. That's what happens when you spend 10 days at Fuller Seminary talking about faith and work. I spared you. I didn't talk about Adam Smith or Karl Marx, so that's a good thing. But I will invite you at this time to do, let's do something really cool. This is, this is, this is a great idea that I heard this week. Take out your device intentionally. And what I'd like you to do, because most of us have this, if you don't have a device, that's fine. Just think about your week ahead. But this is, if you have your device, open up your calendar app. You can come up at this. (laughs) Oh, he's like, I don't have mine. Look at your calendar app. And I want you to intentionally look at your calendar for tomorrow morning. The first thing that you have to do tomorrow morning And at this time, what I'd like you to do, as Bobby quietly plays in the background, is pray. Pray for that first task. Pray for the first thing you have to do tomorrow morning and say, Jesus, I give this up to you. In fact, as I start this thing, whether it's preparing this spreadsheet or making or putting together the chemicals or preparing my curriculum and getting ready for the day, or if it's getting the babies ready for school, look at that task and pray for it and give it to Jesus at this time. And as you look at that first, that first schedule, I want you to look throughout the rest of the week. Bobby, let's get some music going here. As you, get the, as you look at the rest of the schedule, pray for your schedule for the rest of the week because, listen, friends, church... No, no, no. Spirituality is not just an 11 a.m. thing on Sunday morning. What I'm trying to convey and teach to you ever so imperfectly this morning, really the main point is this. What you do starting tomorrow morning is going to be your opus. It's going to be your prayer. And I want you intentionally to lift up your life to God and your work. That is a beautiful thing. So at this time, silently or however you, however you want to express this, look at your calendar or think about what you have coming up this week and just pray, pray, lift it up to Jesus.